Well, that's exciting. And by the way, I mean, God is moving. I'm here. We, uh, some of my friends were in Colombia recently, and <clears throat> they're going just like out in the streets. And like, man, I just, like testimonies of like five people getting saved at a time. I mean, God is moving. People are just coming to Christ there. There's a hunger. There's an openness. So, uh, man, I'm stirred to go to Colombia. So let's go. Uh, all right. Well, um, the weather is a little cold right now, but one of the things that our family is excited to do as the rain dies down is to head over to Knott's Berry Farm. Any Knott's Berry Farm people out here? <clears throat> all right, all right. <clears throat> I, uh, I, I like getting a whole season pass for the price of one Disneyland day. I don't know about you, <clears throat> but I'm about that, you know? So, uh, but we started going to Nasbury Farm when our kids were really little. So, uh, the only rides we did there for like two years were the Camp Snoopy area. You know what I'm talking about? The little kitty rides. <clears throat> so, uh, and, and they were fun, you know? You get the little, the little like, uh, minecart one, you're like this, you know what I'm talking about, and like the kids race, and there's always that slow kid that blocks everyone, thank you Daniel, there's always that slow kid that blocks everyone, and it's kind of like, oh, you know, <clears throat> um, but as a parent and an adult, and somewhat of someone who likes a little thrill in my life, I would always look longingly over at the <clears throat> other roller coasters, thinking one day my kids will not be here in Camp Snoopy the entire time, and I'll be able to go on the roller coaster since I'm spending all this money here and get to enjoy some of those, and maybe my kids will come with me. Now, good news for us, our kids now like roller coasters. And so guess what? We're, we're going on roller coasters with them. <clears throat> um, my son came back from Nutsbury Farm last week. He's like, I want an extreme, what is it, extreme scream four times in a row. He's all pumped up. <clears throat> and... Um, but what it took, I remember those first moments of kind of like, we could go on a roller coaster, and they were all kind of like uncertain, and I don't know, because you see, it's a commitment to go on a roller coaster. You know, if you're on the minecart little pump thing, if you don't like it and you're a kid, you can just start crying, and they'll just, parents will come get you, you know, uh, and just get you right away. But when you're on a roller coaster, no amount of crying is going to stop the thing midair and a parent climb up to get you. It's a commitment. You've got to go all in uh, on the front end to decide whether or not, you know, you're going to go on a roller coaster. So they went on it, and I remember them coming back just beaming so proud that they wanted roller coasters. And now that's all they want to do is keep going on their roller coasters. And they've kind of, you know, occasionally will dip into a Camp Snoopy ride. It's a good time. Uh, but... Uh, they don't want to be in roller coasters. But what it took for them to have the amount of fun, they had to go all in. And part of what made it exhilarating was the fact that there was a little skin in the game that needed to be put in. There was a little risk that had to be put in. And, man, I'm glad that my kids will not be adults trying to go on the mine cart, you know, pump it ride with all the kids, and then they wouldn't be in Camp Snoopy the rest of their lives, right? <clears throat> now, I think some of what happens is, is, is the church, we can kind of do that, right, with, with church members, is, is keep people in kind of like the Camp Snoopy of spiritual lives <clears throat> our whole lives. 
And so what sometimes we're guilty of as church leaders is we try and make things as easy as possible, as pain-free as possible, and as risk-free as possible for, for church folk and, and followers of Jesus because, you know, we don't want to ask too much and this and that, and, and we're guilty of that sometimes. And what that can do, right, is we, we read these stories, these powerful stories of Jesus and his miracles. And then we read the book of Acts. <clears throat> and then we hear people throughout church history who risked everything for the gospel of Jesus Christ and opened up whole nations to hearing about Jesus or whatever. <clears throat> and then we're like, well, we don't really do that anymore because you know, and then we have a long logical risk of, list of like why we don't really take risks, right, for, for Jesus. And, and what it does, you know, I just don't think that's the way God intended it for us to be in the spiritual camp Snoopy, right, uh, on the little bus ride that goes around in, in a circle for like five feet up and down the rest of our lives. God intended us to kind of graduate into, uh, into the thrill of seeing his kingdom come out there in a broken world and lives change, but that takes risk from us. It takes going all in. It takes being willing to be foolish. It takes being willing to be rejected. It takes being uh, a, a step of faith to put ourselves in situations where we need God to show up, not just hoping one day he might show up. But again, that takes going all in. And so I, I want to, uh, we're taking the next number of weeks in a sermon series called All In. <clears throat> and it's going to explore how do we go all in with Jesus and his mission? How do we go all in in the purpose that God has for us in our lives individually and all in in the purpose that God has for us in our church? And I want to look at Mark chapter 6 <clears throat> at a story of how Jesus went all in and he, he, he was teaching his disciples to go all in <clears throat> and how God did a miraculous work in the midst of that. We're going to start in verse 30. I'm going to read it a few verses at a time uh, to kind of move through the text and uh, kind of preach as I go. So let's start in verse 30 through <clears throat> 34. It says this, The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. So context here, <clears throat> Jesus had just sent out his 12 apostles on a mission trip as part of their training, which is why one of the many reasons we do mission trips here, because it's not only an impact for them, but it's training for us. So Jesus had just sent out his apostles on a mission trip for part of their training process. And during that time, you know, John the Baptist had died and was, was beheaded, <clears throat> And so they're just coming back, and Jesus is kind of also processing the death of, of his cousin, John the Baptist. And so he says to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. I love, you're going to see in the life of Jesus, both rhythms of hard work and rest. For many were coming and going, even as he had, they had no leisure even to eat. So it's chaos. There's a lot of need. There's a lot of opportunity rhythms of work and rest. And they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot 
from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Now, I want to I want to pause here and acknowledge that God puts in front of us people not only in need, but God puts in front of us people who are hungry for God. God puts in front of us great need and great hunger. Look at verse 32. It said that the people ran by, I'm sorry, verse 33, their people ran by foot ahead of them hearing that God, that Jesus was going to show up in that place. They recognized God and they wanted to be a part of what God was doing. Did you know that our culture is hungry for God? Now, I know everyone's saying there, well, this generation and Gen Z and this and that and people aren't open and this and that and the progressive or the blah, blah, blah or the hyper-conservative or this and that, right? Um, well, there is a decrease in the interests of church as people know it, whether it's good or bad picture of church they had. Well, there's a, in, there's a decrease in the interest of church. Statistics say that people are as open to God as ever. A recent study done by Barna said that there's actually an increase in spiritual openness happening in our world. Here are some statistics. 77% of adults say they believe in a higher power. That's over three-fourths of people believe in a higher power, that, that God is there. <clears throat> 74% of adults want to grow spiritually. Now, obviously, I'm aware that this doesn't all mean Jesus, but there's an openness to spiritual realm. There's an openness to, to the idea of God. And nearly half of Americans say they are more open to God after the pandemic than they were before. So there's a significant amount of our population that didn't just remain neutral in their openness to God, but the pandemic actually opened people to God. Now, we often think, well, people are angry at God, and people are angry at the church because of the pandemic and the church's reaction, but I just want to say there's more openness to God happening than even before. You see, the world is hurting, and the world is hungry, but they're not closed off to God. And guess what? God has put these types of people in your path. Where you work, where you live, where you eat, where you play, do things for fun. God is intentional. There are people in your path asking questions about life. There are people in your path asking questions about why they're experiencing pain in their life and why certain things are happening in their life. There are people in your path who are wanting an encounter with the living God. They may not know they're ready for Jesus yet, but they're wanting an encounter for the living God. But if I'm honest and I'm preaching to myself as much as anyone else, we can be indifferent. <laughs> There's this great openness and also often a great indifference or even bitterness and angry <laughs> anger in the church. And so what happened is our heart 
becomes hard. Our heart becomes indifferent, and we go through the Christian motions out there without a heart for people. Now, I'm a parent, and uh, we're often asking our kids to do things as just part of raising them to be uh, mature, hopefully uh, adults, you know, down the road. And there's a difference when the kids uh, go about it with a whole heart and say, okay, I'll go do that. And they go and they work hard. Or when they go like this. Hey, I'll pick that thing up. You see, whether their heart is in it or not makes all the difference in the world. You see, uh, if, if, if it goes like this, I know it's going to be about four times as long. There might need to be one or two conversations along the way. And, you know, sometimes if it stays like this, there ends up being a consequence, which we don't want to give. But we're trying to help them understand, you can't do that in life. You know, when your boss asks you to do something or when, you know, you have a responsibility, you don't have the luxury of going like this, you know. <clears throat> Whether their heart is in it or not, you know, makes all the difference in the trajectory. Because you see, passion and heart moves us. Um, and, and that's what we see. We see a contrast here in this text between how Jesus engaged people and how the disciples kind of went like this. So let's, let's take a look at that. Uh, verse 34 to 36, he went ashore and saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. <clears throat> and when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. <clears throat> now to contrast this, um, you have Jesus here who, who, who has compassion, he sees them, and, and he, he goes to action. And then you have the disciples who kind of, as Jesus is ministering to them and, and kind of meeting their needs, the disciples are kind of sitting back like, hey, Peter, we've been here a while, dude. What's he doing? Come on, man. They're sitting waiting. They said, Jesus, you know, I know that you have a heart for these people, you know, but I, I got sleep to have. I got food to eat. You know, and honestly, Jesus, this isn't our problem. They should have packed a sack lunch. Like, look, I got a fish and a loaf, you know, but these people, they're foolish. They're stupid. They're not hard workers. They're not responsible. Like, this isn't our problem. This is their problem, right? And so, so I'm glad you have a heart, but, but here's what we need to do, Jesus. You need to kind of take this problem and move it away from my personal zone, because I'm trying to have a nice relationship with Jesus right here. And, and these people are taking you away from me, and they're a distraction. So, so let's move this problem over here so I can go about my little routines, right? And, and, uh, and then you see Jesus' opposite response. It says he saw them, and he had compassion. That word compassion means to suffer with to be willing to set aside our own thoughts, our feelings, our emotions, our own preferences, our own comfort zone, and to step into someone else's shoes and to humble ourselves. So we see Philippians so well describes how Jesus did this. Humble ourselves and be willing to subject ourselves to measure the pain that someone else is feeling. And what did compassion do in Jesus' life? Compassion moved him to action. 
And that's what happens. Compassion, when our heart starts to break for other people, compassion moves us to action in a way that a list of shoulds and things we know up in our head doesn't move us to, right? And so what happens is slowly over time, where we've been Christians for years and we forget that we've been forgiven of our sin and our life starts to get, you know, maybe cleaned up a little bit and we forget the pain of, of walking in sin. And so, so this, this concept of, of, of being on mission and bringing the good news of Jesus becomes a list of shoulds, right? Or have tos. And, and, and that kind of creates this thing in us where my kids start to go like this. I have to clean up. I have to do chores. I have to. I'm like, yeah, well, you have to become a mature adult one day. And so, you know, uh, so, but I'm trying to get you to get the heart of that. And so, in the same way, we've often lost God's love for people. And because it becomes a have to or a should or a list of things or a project or whatever, we get weird about reaching out to people who are hurting and need love. We get so weird about it and it becomes something that we hate the concept of. But when we get God's heart, it catapults us into God's story. Because compassion moves us to action. So when we get compassion and we are willing to follow Jesus into other people's pain and we're willing to follow Jesus into uh, the lives of other people, it catapults us into the greater story of God. And that's exactly what happened here. Jesus' compassion and him kind of coaching them to have some compassion catapulted them into the middle of a revival. But we often miss the revival that God wants to bring or the move of God he wants to bring in someone else's life because we go through it up here and not out down here in our heart. And so we need to learn to be people that grab a hold of God's compassion because when we get his heart, we're catapulted into his story. Now what brought compassion for Jesus here? The very thing that God brought that brought Jesus' compassion afresh when his heart was seeing the brokenness of people. What does it say here in verse 34? He saw them with compassion because they were sheep without a shepherd. And I want to say, first of all, to kind of garner that compassion in our own lives, you see, before we're the disciples who are kind of like, let's go in faith, we're the sheep without a shepherd. You see, that, this, this you and me, because honestly, apart from Jesus, even for those of us who are like, you know, uh, grew up saved practically, uh, <clears throat> apart from Jesus, y'all, you know, we would be wandering, hopeless, aimless, you know, trying our best in life and our own strength. We are the, pe- we are the sheep without a shepherd, right? Apart from Jesus. And so the good news today is not only that, and praise God, that those of us who are following Jesus have been saved, there's also good news for those of you here, and you're not sure where your relationship with God is. You're not sure. You, You feel like you're alone, trying to have to figure out life by yourself, going about things in your own strength, with your own coping mechanisms. And I want to remind you today that there's good news because God loved you so much, he came to the earth and he gave his life on a cross to die for your and my sin so that you and I would not 
have to bear the weight and the punishment of our sins, but that we could be forgiven once and for all and be reconciled to God. And the good news for you today is that you can know God. And the good news for the rest of us today is a reminder of that we're no different from people who are out there living without God, apart from Jesus, right? But beyond that, let's just take a look at what's going on in our world today to kind of help us tap into the heart of God, hopefully. In 2021, 30% of teen girls considered suicide. 31% of Americans have a lifetime prevalence of an anxiety disorder. That's a third of Americans. It's a third of us, possibly. In 2021, there were over 106,000 drug overdose deaths, nearly 80,000 of them fentanyl. Guys, that's, that's 100,000 people. I mean, that is, that is the size of Fullerton almost in a year. A 2021 Harvard study showed that 61% of young adults feel seriously lonely. Guys, that's more than half of young adults that you're interacting out there feel seriously lonely. I mean, you, you, you're in a room of people that's over half. I mean, what an opportunity, guys, for, for Jesus. What a need. And while it's hard to get exact statistics on internet addiction, statistics say that internet addiction leads us to be eight times more likely, sorry for the typo there, eight times more likely to have depression, nine times more likely to have anxiety, and 14 more times more likely to have both. And honestly, internet addiction is an epidemic. So statistically, merely looking at the science here, we've got a broken world who is legitimately looking for God and looking for answers. And we've got a world hungry for God. We have a broken world and a world hungry for God. And I just want to say that's a recipe for a move of God. And that is what I believe God is even beginning to do. It's in different places in our country. I'm seeing some fresh things of college campuses, students across different college campuses, staying up all night, worshiping, praying, repenting publicly, getting baptized. This world is hungry for God, but it starts, church, by us having compassion. Because if we sit here and we're content with another church service and we're content with just being nice people and good people, but no one around us knows we're a Christian and we're never taking a risk for God and we're never stepping into the pain of someone's life and we're never being inconvenienced and we go to the end of our life and, and, and we don't have any longer to do the one thing we can't do in heaven and that's bring Jesus to hurting people, man, we've missed it. And so, man, my prayer in this first message, this sermon series, if anything else, is that we would get a heart of compassion for people. If anything happens this first, this first week, it is, uh, my prayer is for us, God, break our hearts for the people and the things that break your heart. So that's why we're doing this little wristband thing. Now, uh, <clears throat> I know it's not the fashion trend, by the way, uh, <clears throat> so, but just a reminder, none of us are too cool, all right? Uh, uh, the reason we're doing this is the invitation during this series is to pray a daily prayer. Because we need theology and practice to form us. Um, and so, uh, the daily prayer, this little thing will lead you through. I'm going to take you through the first half of it here right now. This heart here, God, break our heart for the people and things that break our heart. Let's pray that every day. 
And I just want to say, that's a dangerous prayer. You could be catapulted into people's lives being changed if you pray that prayer. You could be catapulted into the story of God if you pray that prayer. So God, daily, break my heart. Let's pray that daily. And then secondly, God, give me your eyes to see people like you see them. You see, the difference between Jesus and the disciples, Jesus saw the people and the disciples saw the people without seeing the people, if you will. The disciples just saw a nuisance and Jesus saw people. So God, break my heart and give me your eyes. And so unapologetically, I want to invite you to wear this. And by the way, again, I know it's red. I know it's bright. I know it's not cool. But that could create great conversations. So I want to say, what's on your wrist? You could say, man, I believe God loves people. And this is to help me to pray, to remind me that. You could say to your coworker, whoever, you know, I've been praying that all reflect the love of God. How am I doing at that? <laughs> and you could invite their input. <clears throat> and that would be a great conversation. You could say, oh, hey, you know, God's love has changed my life. Have you ever experienced God's love? You could say, I'm just helping you all out here. You could say, hey, uh, <clears throat> God's, God's love is so real. Um, do you believe it's real? Do you believe the church reflects that? I mean, you could go 20 directions on this and create great conversations. So again, uh, it is a first for us, but a great conversation started along the way. Now, um, <clears throat> I prayed this prayer back when I was in college and God began to kind of wreck my life. God, break my heart for the people and things that break your heart. And that sent me to the nations of the earth to lead people to Jesus in numerous continents, and that sent us to California to plant a church uh, with you guys. <clears throat> that sent us to, to, to people. But that, that prayer ruined my life for the good because I don't want to come to the end of my life and just have lived a safe life in the Camp Snoopy of the spiritual world. I want to go on the, on, in the depths of the love of God for people and be willing to be inconvenienced in my short life, right? Uh, so that I can stand before Jesus with a bunch of people behind me. The same man, whether, whether it's because I led them to Jesus directly or I stacked chairs on Sunday and prayed for the people that would sit in them, I was a part of seeing God move. Okay. Um, so, now, to keep going, when God's people get God's heart, he anoints them to be a solution to the problems they see. When God's people get God's heart, he anoints them to be the facilitators of the solution to the problems. Verse uh, 36 and 37. So, again, the disciples are saying, send them away into the surrounding villages, the, the countryside and villages, to buy something themselves to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. <laughs> and he said to them, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? I hear the disciples scoff, you know, what are we going to do, Jesus? Uh, but you see, uh, the disciples, they wanted to delegate people's problems to other people. Don't we do this sometimes? Someone ought to do something about that. The homeless thing, someone ought to do something about that. No, Governor Newsom, or Governor this, or this person, or that people. Someone ought to do something about that. The president, whatever. 
right? Or, or, or um, hyper-progressive or hyper-conservative. Someone ought to do something about those people, but I'm not going to be in a relationship with those people. They vote differently than me. Or, or, or people that just tend to be needy, right? We got people in, the, in our lives that just tend to be needy. Someone ought to do something for that person, oh, you know? We get like that, right? Or the next generation, Gen Z, someone ought to do something about that, you know? Or the older generation, the boomers, someone ought to do something about that, right? We, we do that. We, we, we group people up and dehumanize them and then say, someone needs to do something about this problem because these people are a problem, right? And that's what the disciples were doing here. But Jesus turns around and says, hey, no, you're the facilitators. You're the facilitators. You're the facilitators of the solution to this problem. You see, God has anointed you and God has anointed us as a church to be a people that feed the 5,000. Again, that, that starts personally, right, with our own lives. Where do we live? Where do we work? Where do we eat? Where do we play and have fun and, 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 and do whatever it is we do, I would say that God has put you there. We're going to talk more about that next week. And so, again, if we're praying this every day, uh, I think this, this could literally change our lives. This, this, not the wristband, wearing it, but praying it and living it. God, break my heart. Let me see people like you see them every day. And then, God, let me be the hands and feet. Now, I didn't want to put a hand and a feet on there. It'd be too many things. So the feet and the hands. Let me be your hands and feet to reflect you and your love and point people to you, Jesus. <clears throat> Let's, what if we prayed that every day? And what if we did that every day? I'm so full of faith that if we pray and are willing to do that every day, <clears throat> God's going to move. So much so that we, we got a, a little number here if you want to put that on the screen. <clears throat> if you've got... A story. It could be a big story, or it could be the smallest story, or it could even be a fail story of stepping out and being the hands and feet of Jesus to someone. Let us know. Send us a text. That is our church phone number. We can also receive texts. So text us at that number. So I invite you to take out your phones right now. Save the number. Now listen, because I'm expecting. You got to be expecting enough that God will move through you to save this number. All right? <clears throat> Get your phone out, save the number. You got to be expecting enough <clears throat> to save this number, and we want to hear it, even if it's a fail story, but you stepped out in love, okay? Save that number so you're ready to textify, okay? <clears throat> so just this week, <clears throat> uh, you know, I'm, I'm praying this because I had the heads up. I, uh, I got to order these, and uh, <clears throat> so I was the first one to slide it on, so I started praying it. <clears throat> and so I started praying, God, let me see people. And, uh, and God, break my heart and let me be inconvenienced today <clears throat> to be your hands and feet. I'm sitting in the office and <clears throat> someone uh, across the hall uh, had their family member, someone that works across the hall has their family member in. And uh, <clears throat> so we started a conversation and just talking to this lady, uh, can I pray for you? She comes and sits down a 45-minute conversation that did totally interrupt and blow up my day. And, but man, tears, power of God, deliverance happening. I mean, just, just God showed up. She's just moved under the power of the Holy Spirit, touching her heart and touching her life and just sharing about the pain of her life. Uh, but what was it? I honestly might not have allowed myself to be inconvenienced if I didn't say, God, 
break my heart and let me be inconvenienced and let me be your hands and feet today. Uh, And God showed up. Now, little did I know, this is a family member of someone that the Kisslings have been praying for. (laughs) So somehow through this conversation, I discover that, that she's related to this, you know, this people that the Kisslings have been connected with and catching up with and praying for, and, and God just connects this story. I love it. But again, uh, this prepares us to be available to be Jesus' hands and feet. Now, um, that personally, my prayer is that we, we pray this and live this out. Now, as a church, I believe God has called us together to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Um, so let's just start with Fullerton. Now, not, I know not everyone lives in Fullerton, but our church meets in Fullerton, so we, we uh, want to carry a heart for that uniquely. There's 140,000 people in Fullerton. I did some math a couple years ago on the amount of churches here. I, I did a really rough estimate of, you know, maybe how many people the average church is. My numbers are probably off significantly, but... It led me and my friend who was doing this with to believe that about 10 to 20% of people in Fullerton are in church on a Sunday. That's a really small amount. Like 9 out of 10 of people are probably not in church in Fullerton on a Sunday. And I know we're in Orange County and there's a lot of Christians here, but guys, most of this place is not reached for Jesus. We need so many more churches here. We need so many more people being the hands and feet of Jesus, right? Especially when over 70% of people believe in God and want to grow spiritually. Now, let's just kind of zoom out for a second, the LA area. Uh, we have six other Antioch churches in the LA area. We have two churches in East LA. We've got a church in West LA. We've got a church in Pasadena. We've got a Chinese, a Mandarin-speaking congregation as well. And we have been meeting together, praying together, dreaming together. How do we reach in partnership with one another and the greater body Christ? The, the, the greater LA area. We had a retreat to pray and seek God. God is stirring our hearts. There's 18 million people here. There's over 800,000 college students. It's incredibly diverse. Here's just some examples of people groups. These aren't even the top people groups. There's 579,371 Filipino people. There's over 400,000 Chinese people. There's over 100,000 Pakistani people. I mean, these are country, I mean, Pakistan it's even hard to just be bold about your faith without getting in trouble, right? Or, or, or over 70,000 Lebanese or over 60,000 Afghan people. You know, I've, I've had friends who've been in Afghanistan, and man, you, you can die for, for sharing your faith. We got 60,000 people from Afghanistan in our backyard, right? And so God has called us uh, to feed, uh, be a part of feeding the 5,000, right? Or feeding the 18 million right? Now, God, you know, guys, I know we're the only a small part of the sliver of God's solution, of God, the facilitators of God's solution, but God has called us to be a part of reaching this region through making disciples and planting churches and taking risks together. And beyond that, God's called us to great commission around the world. If you want to pull up that Antioch uh, picture, our Antioch movement has sent churches um, around, around the world to... Um, to different places. 
And um, we've got, I think, 150 teams internationally. Uh, we send short-term teams. Our prayers, God sends more long-term teams here. And so um, God is moving around the world. And one of those places that we are, oh, there we go. There's just, it's actually a lot of data. So there's probably actually more teams. We're sending people around the world. But one of the places that our church is multiplying out the kingdom of God is right here in our own nation, Asheville, North Carolina. So we'll be sending out the Kisslings and some people. Well, this is a little grainy. Sorry. Didn't know it would come out that way. That looks a little better. We'll be sending out some people to Asheville, North Carolina this summer to plant an Antioch church out there as part of the Great Commission. God has called us to feed the 5,000. God has called us to be a part of bringing his kingdom around the world, including in Asheville. There's, I believe, almost 100,000 people in Asheville. It is one of the less reached areas of the southeast. People say it's a very churched area. However, people say this is a Portland of the southeast. And so uh, it is a place that God has called us as a church to be a part of the story there. And God has called specifically the Kisslings and possibly some of you to be a part of that story as well. So one of us to be praying over that. Now, let me just pause and acknowledge there was a whole lot of needs and opportunities I just threw out. How in the world do we, as a little church, participate or be a part of feeding the need around the world? Right? Now, of course, that's not just Antioch Fullerton is God's blessing to the world, right? We're just a tiny part of, the, of God's facilitators of that. But uh, we're in good company with the disciples and being way in over our heads, right? Because disciples are like, how in the world are we going to do this? I want to look at the rest of this story and just a couple things as we uh, will come to the close and do some prayer uh, here in a minute. A couple things we can learn from how they did that. <clears throat> Uh, verse 38, he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Because they're like, we can't do this. Send them away, you know. How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they'd found out, they said five and two fish. And he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. So what God did here is his way of doing this is multiplication. It may not be having the coolest big thing, we're doing addition and we're trying to get as many people in a room as possible, although God uses that, that's not all bad. God has this way of taking people that are way over their heads with too little resources and multiplying it to touch the world. You see, the reality is, both in your personal life and in the church, the call of God on your life and our lives will almost always be bigger than the resources we currently have. And the in-between between the resources you and we have and the call of God is the faith zone. It's the God zone where we need God to show up. And I think God designs it that way. And so a couple things I just want to learn real quick from, from the disciples uh, is they went all in with what they had. They went all in with what they had. Um, you see, 
The disciples were obsessively focused with what they didn't have. We don't have energy. We don't have resources. We don't have time. We don't even have a desire. We don't even care, right? Uh, and Jesus redirected their attention to himself and what they did have. He said, no, what, what do you have? Because to see God's kingdom multiply starts by stewarding faithfully what you do have, which is often feels like way too little. So I just want to say, <clears throat> you might not have a lot, but you have something to give to the people in your own life who have a need. You might not feel like you have a lot to give to this church, but you are a contributor to the mission of God through this church. Some of you, you love to greet. Some of you, you love to lead. Some of you, you love to serve behind the scenes. Some of you have a heart to shepherd. Some of you have a heart to bring people to Christ. Some of you have a heart for marriage ministry. Some of you have a heart for singles ministry. Some of you have a heart for men's ministry. Some of you have a heart for homeless people. Some of you have a heart, uh, you know, I could keep going down the list. God has put something in you to contribute to his mission in and through the local church. And I wanna say, that each and every one of us, starting with here on a Sunday, if you're stacking a chair, you are a part of the mission of what God is doing in reaching and raising up transformed disciples. But what they had to do was surrender what they had and give it to Jesus. What they didn't do was say, well, I got five loaves and two fish. I'm going to start cutting it up into tiny little cubits. Right? Little, little salad pieces of meat that you get at the salad bar. We're going to cut them up into tiny cubits and go on our own. You know? <clears throat> no, they, they said, <laughs> I don't know how you can use this. Whatever you want, Jesus, I'm yours. And my stuff is yours. They went all in with what they had and surrendered it and trusted to Jesus and how he wanted to use it. And... <clears throat> God can do more with our little than we can do with our much. God can do more with your one talent or your one bit of something than we could do if we had 10 talents and kept it in our own strength. This is how God multiplies. What is surrendered, God can bless and multiply. But what's not surrendered to him, I believe keeps it, what we see from this passage, from God's blessing. But it's surrendered to him, though. God can bless and multiply. And this is how God works. He impacts a lot through a little. It's what he did through the Israelites. It's what he did through Gideon and Gideon's army. It's what he did through David and a, bunch, a few hundred broken, messed up people. right? And it's what he did with the followers of Jesus. 120 people in the book of Acts were a part of changing the world because they went all in. And so that gives me faith that this group of 150 or probably 200 people in our church and may or may not all be here today, of course God can use us if we'll go all in with him to impact the world around us. Just a couple last observations of, of, of how God would move through a crew like us who are all in. Uh, it means we create spaces. Verse 39 and 40, he had them sit down in groups. There was some organization there. You see... Um, uh, of course, we're, we're, we're always out there, and, and, and we're sent. I'm going to talk more about that this next week. But we also invite people to come and to be in family. And so on Sundays, our desire is not only to minister to people who are believers, but our desire is to also minister to those who 
are, are far from God and, and to create a space where uh, people can come who are on the outside looking in on their faith or even looking in on this church and, and find and encounter Jesus. And there's a handful of things that we're doing, um, not necessarily like we're going full seeker friendly, but, but there's a handful of things we're doing to make this an environment where you can invite people and they'll hear the good news of Jesus every week and have an opportunity to meet Jesus and get connected to family. We're going to talk more about a few things we're doing on our end in the coming weeks and even on my end as I preach. But something I want to invite us to do, and we'll talk more about this, is, is, is what I call a 950 campaign. An invitation to come to church at 950. Here's what happens a lot of weeks. I'm just going to be honest, lovingly. Now, ahead of time, I'll just say, Grace, if your kid is, you know, whatever, or you're having a bad morning, or you overslept your alarm, grace to be human. You know, but what happens almost every week, people who are new get here early or on time and they look around and there's five people in the room. Then I, as a lead pastor, just having a loving family conversation here real quick, sorry for new, uh, <clears throat> they look around and I, I kind of say, do I tell them that uh, most of the church comes, you know, 30 minutes in, <laughs> which I don't because I want to honor y'all. Or do I just let them sit by themselves <laughs> and quietly, you know? And so grace, if, uh, you know, you had a bad morning and you're late, there's grace. I'm not going to sit and judge you, you know? But I want to invite you, if this is your church and we are committed to being hospitable to the outsiders, come 10 minutes early, get a donut, get some coffee, interact with people you like and meet someone you don't know. And then guess what? You get to be here. Hopefully you want all of God we can get in worship. Come on to the front, because we want all of Jesus, right? I want more of you, right? So I want to get here when the first, right? Like, like, like we go to concerts, and we're like, I want to be the first at the door, right? How about to the Jesus concert, right? So, and then we get to be hospitable to, uh, to whoever shows up, so they don't have to kind of sit by themselves. Now, some people want to sit by themselves when they're new, but you get what I'm saying, and then our desire, you know, we have other, you know, this is a larger kind of sit in circle, but then kind of back to our, our circles, we have other things throughout the week. We have a mental health group that meets, and we're, our desire is to see more of those, and possibly even other specialty groups started, you know, maybe an addiction recovery group, or maybe this, and some of you maybe have a heart for that. We want to create spaces like Jesus did and the disciples, for people to come in and be impacted and fed and grow. Um, some of us, uh, you know, you have a heart for, for different types of ministries and are here. We want to hear about that. Some of you have a heart to, for new believers. We're considering doing something like Alpha in the fall, which is a space for people who are, are, are kind of questioning God or checking out uh, their faith and have questions about, about Jesus to come, we would love people. If you have a heart for that kind of thing, let us know. And of course, one of the main ways we create room for people to come and, and encounter Jesus and be fed is in our life groups. And so we have a number of life groups. We are looking in the process of starting a number more life groups. Um, so by the way, we'll, we're looking to start a Spanish-speaking life group. Miguel Cabrera, if you're interested, is Miguel here? Talk to Miguel if you're interested in being a part of that. We are looking to reach the Spanish-speaking community, and uh, God has some great works there. We got uh, some people exploring, starting group in Whittier, 
Patricia, give us a wave. If you're, interested, if you're up that direction, come talk to Patricia. There's other numerous groups. Uh, we'll, we'll actually be praying over and launching out a new group here in the next week or two. Um, so there's probably like four or five groups that are considering looking at starting. Why? Because we want to make more spaces for people to come in and encounter Jesus to be fed and grow in family. So, and to be honest, uh, I've, I've had one or two conversations recently where it's like, we just don't have the right group at the right time for people. So we want to make more space so more people can come in. And what that means is we go all in to not just be kind of uh, people that uh, receive, but also like we talked about in the last series, people that both receive and give. Because we've got some awesome people in this church. <laughs> A lot of awesome people, which is why I'd love for you to be here at 950 because, man, when people show up, I mean, we just got gold sitting in these seats uh, in your lives, in your stories that I want people to meet and, and be built into by, by many of you guys in your lives. Okay, we'll talk more about this in the coming weeks, but um, it starts with having compassion. And so uh, if I can get our band up here, um, if I'm honest, I came into prepping this series a little tired and a little kind of like, I'm busy, thanks, you know? And so uh, praying this prayer has been re-wrecking me in a good way, and it's led to some great conversations. So I want to start with us just sitting with Jesus for a second and praying the beginning, the first two of this wristband. Again, if you don't have one, you can pick it up on the way out on the table. God, break my heart for what breaks your heart, and let me see people like you see them. And if, if you're praying that prayer and you're honest with God and there's some things that are keeping you from being compassionate, maybe just be honest with God in that prayer as well. God, my, my schedule is keeping me from being compassionate. My bitterness about things going on in the world is keeping me from being, but my, my judgmentalism is keeping me from being compassionate. I'll be honest, there's some places I had to confront. I was more compassionate when I was a new believer because I've just been around the church a long time and I just have more opinions about people and things. I had to repent of some of that. So just take a second. Just, just get your heart before God. we don't naturally have. You've got care for people we don't naturally have. And so we just say we need that. We need you. And we invite you to come begin during these next five weeks as we pray this prayer daily and make ourselves available daily. We invite you to become and start to break our hearts. We invite you to come and begin to shake our comfort zones. God, come break our hearts for the things and people that break your heart. I pray when we see the news, we would have compassion and not just judgment. I'm praying that when we see people that are different than us, we would have empathy and not just misunderstandings or judgment. I'm praying, God, that when we see the need, we'd no longer be hard-hearted, but we would truly see people made in your image. And you would give us your heart. 
God, shake our hearts. God, break our hearts and open us up to be your hand.